Well, good morning, Redeemer. So glad to be with you on this All Saints Day. We're coming to a special moment. We're finishing our sort of three or four month journey through the book of Acts together. It's sad to come to the end, but the ending in Acts is really just a new beginning as we are invited in to the story of the gospel going down deep in our lives and out wide into the whole world. Here we are at Story's End, which really is Story's new beginning. Acts 28, beginning in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord to you. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your Son, your one and only begotten Son for us, for the life of the world. Jesus, thank you for coming, living, dying, rising again, ascending on high, reigning over all things even now for the sake of your church, for the sake of your gospel being spread throughout the world. Thank you that you take care of your people just the way you took care of Paul on his long, long journey to get to Rome, and once in Rome, you cared for him. Thank you that you care for us, Jesus. Thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for keeping this story, inspiring Luke to write it just like this, for keeping it across the ages for us to give us faith, to strengthen our faith, to grow faith in us, and to help us share faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you invite us further into the story today? May we enter in. May the story's end be a new beginning for us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you know this feeling, right, where you've read a favorite novel, let's say, and you come to the end and you are just distraught. You are just burdened because you love this book and you can't believe it is ending. That's the way I felt the first time I'd gone through the three volumes of Lord of the Rings. I was just like, no, no, it can't be over. Please give me more, you know. Uh, I, I felt that way the first time I read John Irving's A Prayer for Owen Meany. I just came to the end and I just, oh, I'd love to start all over having never read this book before. The good thing is when you get older, it's kind of like, well, sometimes you reread them and it is kind of like starting over. Uh, some, some endings you're sad about, right? Because um, you just don't like the ending. I remember Fran got me to read one of her favorites, The Unabridged Count of Monte Cristo by Dumas. And I, and I read it and I just loved it all the way through. And I came to the end and you mean, you're going to pull this character from kind of not left field, but outside the stadium to do this at the end? Like, what? I hope that's not a spoiler alert. But anyway, um, I just didn't like the ending at all. The worst kind of endings to me are open-ended endings. I'll never forget the first time I really read an open-ended story. It was a short story, seventh grade English, Southwest Junior High School in Lakeland, Florida, Mr. Mrs. Elaine Stowers' English class, and she had us read The Lady or the Tiger by Stockton. And uh, this story, right, has this young man, sort of the hero of the story, and he kind of falls in love with the king's daughter, and they get caught in this sort of non-approved uh, alliance. And so he's put out into the arena. Uh, the king puts him there, and, uh, and he's there. And, and, and behind one door in the arena, at the edge of the arena, is a young woman who he will have the opportunity to marry and be with if he opens that door. And behind the other is a tiger that will devour him and overwhelm him and consume him. And the king's daughter sort of points to one of the doors, and that's where the story ends. You don't know what she's saying. You know what he's thinking. You don't know what psychology, reverse, triple reverse psychology is going on. It just ends. I hated that. Can you tell? 45 plus years ago, and I can't stand that ending. <laughs> right? You can kind of feel that way a little bit about Luke's ending here. Like, what? Why are we not? You mean, you got Paul across the world, and you're going to tell me what happened to him? Did he stand before Nero? 
did he have a trial? Was he set free? We know from other historians outside of Scripture, Eusebius and others, that apparently Paul was released and he had more journeys and there's talk of a second imprisonment in Rome. And, and so what, Luke? Why are you telling all this? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit as we go today, but there's one big reason why Luke leaves it open-ended. It's because he wants to invite us into the story. The whole point is not what happens to Paul. He doesn't want you to come to sort of a happy ending or even kind of a settled ending about Paul. He wants you to be moved to come into the story and be a part of its new beginnings as the gospel makes other circuits around the world, around our community, around our own hearts. So the takeaway today is, will we enter into the story together? I want you to think about this with me in a couple of ways. First of all, when you enter into this story, what do you see here at the very end? That God is real, the reality of God himself. You know, Luke is ending all this, right? We've devoted three sermons even the last two weeks and today to the end of this sort of journey of Paul, which is this grand sea voyage. And there are three big moments here, right? Paul's in this great storm that lasts two weeks of darkness and and tempest at sea, and God saves him. God delivers him. And then there's a shipwreck at the end of that two weeks, and God saves Paul and Everybody else of the ship is lost. All are saved and are able to get to shore. And then once Paul's on shore, right, as Matt preached about last week, here he is on the beach, and he's getting some brush to put on the fire that they're making, and a viper bites him and latches on, and and he's going to die instantaneously, the islanders think. But he lives. God saves him and delivers him in these bold ways, right? God is real. God is moving. God saves Paul and all kinds of others around him. But here, it's a little more subtle. Here, Luke just sort of ends with some very interesting details, right? And the first of these is it's an Alexandrian ship that they finally get on after three months of wintering in Malta. And this Alexandrian ship, because the Alexandrians loved these twin gods, had as their adornment on their bow the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. In Greek mythology, these twin gods, right, were brothers, had two different fathers with one mother in one womb, born together. Pollux was divinely born from Zeus, and Castor was born of a human father, and yet they have this Interesting gestation in one womb together, and they come out as twins. They go on all kinds of adventures in Greek mythology, and Castor dies. And as he dies, uh, Zeus comes and says, right, to Pollux, if you want to share your divinity with your brother, he can be raised up. You'll have less of yourself, but you together can continue to live as divine gods and have more adventures together. They were the favorites of the Alexandrians. They loved to put them on ships because they were the patron gods of sailors. Pollux was supposedly a great boxer, (laughs) and Castor was a horseman. And they would look in both different directions, sort of between the two of them, being able to see all things and 
know all things and protect those at sea. And what Luke is suddenly saying is, and that's hogwash. (laughs) They're but made out of a block of wood. It's a myth, and they're just carved onto this bow as a mere human adornment. I was just reading all this past week the passages in Isaiah where again and again God says through the prophets, do you realize how dumb your idols are? How ridiculous they are? You carve something out of a block of wood that you used a third of to make a fire and another third of to bake your bread in an oven and you're going to use the other third to be your God and carve and prop up or carry around or have to nail down to keep it stable and upright? There is only one God. What what Luke is saying right here even at the end is that the one true God... God the Son come to earth. Jesus Christ our Lord triumphs over all the false gods. Just as the gospel triumphed in Ephesus, where Artemis was but a thing, right? Just a nothing. And Jesus triumphs in Ephesus. As Jesus went forth through the gospel in Athens with the whole pantheon of other gods who were nothing, and Paul preached, but there's a altar to an unknown God who's the true God, the maker of heaven and earth, and his Son has come near to save you. Just like in all those other spaces, Luke is saying here by the very Spirit of God, Jesus is God. God is real. God cares. God brings his people through. This whole voyage was supposed to take about a month. It takes about six months. But God brings Paul and everyone else through. His word is fulfilled for Paul to come to Rome. Now, I just want to pause here a minute because I've been, I've been really grieved uh, by friends I have all over beyond our community here, and I've been grieved about some of what I know you're going through here. And so many different people, people old like me, people middle-aged, people young, are saying things like, I'm, I'm hearing directly from some and indirectly from others, I just don't know if I want to go on in life. I just don't know if there's anything worth living for. I, I just don't know if there's anything that can keep getting me up in the morning. I, I, just, I just can't do this anymore. And I want to say to you, if you're in that space, or you have loved ones in that space, I care. This church cares. If you want to come pray with me during communion, that's where I'm going to be in the back to pray. If you want to talk afterwards, if you want to talk during the week, if you want to talk to an elder or a woman who's a, who's a caring, loving person in this church, reach out because we're here for you. And because you're not weird or alone All of us have felt that way at one time or another. Maybe not to the same depth or exactly the same circumstances as you, but we have all been right where you are. And I want to say to you, right here from this space at the end of the story, God is. God is real. God cares for you the way he cared for Paul. And Luke and all the group, he, he cares for you.
And He is there to save you in the darkness and to bring you through. There may be storms. There will be storms. There may be a shipwreck. There may be even death, but there even in death will be life. He is. He cares. He loves you. God is. God is real. Secondly, consider that in this end of the story that God welcomes. That God welcomes through his people, that he loves to see the response, the reflex of hospitality in his people. Just note this other little detail that Luke gives. Uh, you know, it, Paul's making this final legs of the journey to get the room, Rome. And what does it say when they get to Puteoli, when they get right to sort of the edge above the boot of Italy and they touch down into Italy for the first time? What happens? Paul's never been there before, but there are brothers and sisters in Christ whom he's never met who welcome him there who say, stay with us for a whole week. Ready yourself for this overland journey on the rest of the way to Rome. And then they make the sort of 150-mile land trek from down at the bottom of Italy up to Rome. And when they're 40 miles outside of the city, another group of Christians come. Another group that Paul's never met. They come out 40 miles to where the three, the three taverns are and the Forum of Appius is. And they come to meet him, to welcome him in Jesus' name. And Paul, who doesn't know what's ahead, who just knows that it's Nero who's crazy, and, and maybe death awaits him. What does the text say? He is overwhelmed with this hospitality that he feels the very welcome of God in it, that he gives thanks to God himself for this, and he is greatly encouraged. Let me tell you what our church is about. It is about experiencing week by week in the gospel preached and in the gospel that you actually eat and drink about the welcoming love of God to you in Christ. What did Paul tell the Romans earlier? What might they have been thinking about when they came to meet him? Romans 15 verse 7. Welcome one another in the name of Jesus as God in Christ has welcomed you. That's what church is about. I remember when I first went to plant a church in Austin, Texas, 31 years old, 1994, and this is amazingly astute and erudite, super smart group of people in Austin forming this church. And, you know, I went and talked to one of them on this leadership team, and I said, you know, what do you want when you come to church? What are you looking for when you come to church? And he said back to me, oh, I just want to learn something new every Sunday. And I, and I smiled, and inside I'm thinking, I'm terrified. <laughs> there is nothing new I'm going to be able to teach this man at all. That's a Presbyterian answer. Let me tell you the gospel answer. We gather to experience and share with each other the welcoming love of Jesus, the hospitality of God toward each other. Rodney Stark, who was not a Christian, who wrote a very famous sort of kind of 
magisterial kind of work on the early growth of the church. And he said, you know, I'm not a Christian, but you know, what I think caused the growth of the church across three centuries to allow it to move from this tiny little sect to taking over the world was the hospitality of Christians for each other and then opening that welcome up to the world around them. I love what Tim Keller says, quote, he loves to quote Rodney Stark. He did, and then Tim would always say, you know about the early church? You know what was true about them? They shared their beds with no one except their spouses, but they shared their purses and their tables with everyone. When in the ancient world, they wanted to share their beds with everyone and their purses and tables with no one. And that changed the world. That changed the world. Where does God just want you to welcome someone in Jesus' name this week even? I I think about the welcomes I got in Jesus' name just this last week. Last Sunday, Fran and I were on a little vacation. We'd done a wedding in Georgia. We stayed over for a few days there on the coast of Georgia. And we were walking the beach Sunday night, and Fran just says, we got to take a picture out here. And I'm like, we got to take a picture out here by the ocean. And this young couple comes walking down the beach, and, and the husband says, can, can we take your picture? Looked at the poor old people over here, right? You know. And they come up, and they take pictures, and then we just start talking, and they're Christians. And they wanted to just be loving to us in Jesus' name. And we learned they're not 30 years old yet, and yet he's had almost a death sentence of cancer that God has brought him through and, and brought him to a place of no evidence of disease currently. And they've just been married a few years and they're just beginning their journey. And we shared and we prayed together. It was beautiful. I got back on Thursday. I went to a meeting in Dallas, flew Southwest Airlines up early in the morning on Thursday from here in San Antonio. We land in Dallas, Love Field, and the head flight attendant gets on and she says, Welcome to Dallas. Uh, The temperature is a chilly 38. Welcome here. And I want you to know something. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be merciful unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you his peace. She gave us the ironic benediction on Southwest Airlines when we landed. Of course, I and the other PCA people are thinking, is she ordained? Is she allowed to do that? And then we're worried, well, if she's ordained, that's a bigger problem. And if, and if you don't get those jokes, I'm glad you don't get those jokes. <laughs> but where does this, these are simple things, right? Where does God just want you to, to be the love of Christ that gives another Christian a thankful heart to God? They're touched. A hymn of praise comes out of it, and they're encouraged to go on. Where does God want to give you an open door to someone who's yet to believe that maybe that little cup of cold water in Jesus' name becomes what God does to open a door to the gospel? We've got opportunities right out here after the service to sign up for boxes of blessing, to be that San Antonio knows about this, right? Come be a part of that to sign up for the Christmas event, to maybe get a table or part of a table or a couple of extra seats to say, who can I invite to come with me to just hear Paul tell a funny story and then press the gospel of Christmas into people's lives and just to see other Christians enjoying and celebrating the hope of Jesus.
Where does God want to play this forward? Through you. Where does he want to invite you in to the story? I, I love what William Willimon, the Methodist bishop and beautiful kind of contemporary theologian, writes in his commentary on Acts. He said, you know, of all the powers of God that get unleashed in the book of Acts, all the miracles, all the wonders from Pentecost on, perhaps the greatest power that's unleashed is the hospitality of Christians for each other and the surrounding world. We enter in and we realize God is. We realize that God welcomes us and we can welcome others in his name. And lastly, we enter in and we enter in once again to the gospel itself, the gospel of God, and realize there are various responses to the gospel. Here's Paul at the end, right, doing what he's always done, what Peter always did all along, what the deacons did, Stephen did, Philip did. They're just sharing Jesus. Here's Paul. Let's gather the Jewish leaders in Rome. Let's bring them in. Let me spend a whole extended time with you as I'm chained here, telling you the news about Jesus from the law and the prophets. And some believe, and some remain disbelieving. There are going to be varied responses. But our job is just to, however we may be chained, physically, emotionally, relationally, whatever our kind of imprisonments may be that we're still under, as we freely share Jesus, as we, in unhindered ways, share our hope in the kingdom of God through Jesus, we can trust that God will create responses. That Jesus will move by his spirit the way he did with Thomas. Thomas, stop disbelieving and believing thee as Jesus comes and presents himself to Thomas. As you share Jesus with your deeds and your words, minds and lives are going to be opened up like Thomas's were. People will miraculously stop disbelieving and believe. And then again, some won't. Some will remain, as Paul quotes Isaiah, hard of heart. Not just Jews, but Gentiles too. And the hope in all this is that the saints of old have always hoped in is that God changes hearts. That, As Martin Luther of old said, when God creates a new Christian, he's doing just what he did when he created the world. He takes nothing and makes something out of nothing. God moves. God works. We can trust him and we can be free to boldly in unhindered ways share Jesus. Now as you leave Acts, let's remember a final thing that we get everything, these wonders of salvation in Christ by grace, through faith, undeserved, freely, utterly given but as we receive that, there are costs. Here's Paul at the end having to pay for his own imprisonment. Here's Paul at the end chained. Here's Paul who survived all of these unjust imprisonments, unjustly imprisoned again. There are going to be costs. 
if the gospel is going to keep making circles around the world. See, why does Luke not care about telling you what happens with Paul? Because his main point was to show you that the gospel started in Jerusalem as Jesus promised with his ascension, right? And it made its way into Jerusalem, throughout Judea, into Samaria, and then all the way around the world. One circuit of the known world is complete as Paul comes to Rome. And Luke, led by the Spirit, is just saying, that's just one circuit. There are many more circuits to make. And if that's going to keep happening in our lives, in our community as a church, in our city, in our region, in our world, then we need to count the cost and say, it is a joy to count the cost of the struggles, the hardships, the burdens, because I've been freely given everything in Christ and freely is. I freely share. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this story of the book of Acts. We've, we've loved it. I know I've loved it. And I pray, Lord, that as the story ends, it really would be a day of new beginnings for us, that, that we would enter in more fully and we'd be a part of another circuit of the gospel right here locally and, and all over, the group going to Reynosa. Father, that what we may do with boxes of blessing here, Father, make some new circuits of the gospel. May we enter in and know that you are real, that you love to welcome others as you have welcomed us through us, that you want us to freely share, and that any cost we encounter is worth it, Lord. You've given everything to us. May we freely give our lives to you. We pray it, Jesus, all in your name and for your name's sake. Amen.